Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. Welcome back to the Fuel Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Keith. And today I have Jeff Lamott, not Lamott. There's no M in there, right, Jeff? <laughs> That's exactly right. You got it. <laughs> he is the Dynatron <laughs> Director of Client Training. That's a that's a wordy title right there. That, that's a big title. That, that fills the whole business card, I'll tell you that. You know, we thought, what can we do that would fill the business card? And <laughs> voila. And voila. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk to you today. Um, one of the things, I mean, you were discussing and, and something I believe you're pretty pas- passionate about would be advisor training or just training in general within the dealership. So one of the things we That's were talking correct. about was not just training. Like everybody knows there's a need for training. Anybody, anybody, everybody has an idea or an understanding of how they want to train or what they want to do in their store. But I think one of the points you brought up that was very interesting was the consistency of the message and the consistency of the training. So do me a quick favor. Give me a little background about yourself and then kind of walk that into how you got this passion or or why you're so passionate for this consistency of training. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'm a Minneapolis, Minnesota guy, or to anybody outside the state of Minnesota, it's the Twin Cities of uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And, uh, you know, I started my career when I was a young man in high school, mountain tires at uh, Montgomery Ward, and uh, kind of ages myself there. But uh, I didn't know really what I wanted to do with my life. And I uh, was back there mounting tires. And one of my managers said, you know, Jeff, no offense, not that you don't mount tires good or anything, but you kind of have a way of talking with customers. You know, you notice how the salespeople, whenever they have a question, they always bring the customer back and talk to you. So why don't you come up and be a service advisor? And I thought, all right, <laughs> you know, I'm 18. What do I care? And uh, I became a service advisor and fell in love with the job. I just loved working with the clients and work with customers. And and if you help them to understand what it is, you know, they're so confused about the cars and and what we're doing. And I just fell in love with it. So I spent the better part of my entire career. Um, I it was funny. I was a service advisor for a very short time, maybe maybe about six eight years, um, being a service advisor from Montgomery Ward. And then I went and got my first store, uh, store job at a Chevrolet store. But uh, otherwise, when I was about 27 years old, I got promoted as a manager. And I've been managing fixed ops for the whole rest of my career. It's all I've ever done is working in and around car dealerships. So um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Metro Market, uh, working fixed ops, service director, service manager, that's kind of been where I've most of my life. And like you and I were talking, you know, the passion that I bring to this training, not only is it because we have a need in our industry, which is obvious to me anyway. But also I've had the benefit of a, of a couple of mentors in my career that really helped me kind of connect the dots and, and plug in those, those two loose ends in your brain to help you kind of see through things. And I thought, you know, without those mentors and without that direction from people who were, you know, over me and, and there to help me, um, who knows where my career really will, would have gone. So now, and I'm in the later stages of my career after having been doing this for about 38, 39 years, um, I look like, you know, that's kind of my role is I want to be a mentor to somebody because, you know, without that mentorship, 
who knows where I would have ended up. Well, now maybe the way things work, it's my turn to kind of train and help and, and mentor other people who maybe are at a point in their career um, where they need the help. So I think that's part of the reason that it, it holds a passion for me, uh, simply because I was a beneficiary of some decent uh, oversight and some training. And as a result, I think I recognize the need and the want to do it. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting because <clears throat> what I'd like to know is, is when did you realize <clears throat> when you went from trend, you know, swapping tires and stuff like that or doing tire rotations and starting to talk to customers that they're it's 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 not easy to always have the same conversation or there's a little bit of an art of you know organic conversation to take place it's not always a word track but when did you start to realize and when did you start to see how there's some some method to the chaos so to speak as far as being consistent with a training method of talking to customers well, part of, part of, and, and a funny answer to that, Alex, is that uh, part of the recipe in talking with customers is listening first, right? Because, you know, hearing what they're telling you, not just listening to what they say. There's a local radio program up here, and uh, the joke is, is that I wasn't really listening. I was just waiting for my turn to talk. You know, the, the local radio host says that a lot. And, of course, you always get to laugh, but... You know, I, I worked with a couple of uh, gentlemen when I was at Montgomery Ward, and I would hear them do it, uh, interact with a customer, and you could just read the body language of the customer starting to get irritated, you know, and the, and the look on their face was kind of like, you're not listening to me. You know, I'm asking you about apples, and you're giving me oranges for a response, right? So so I always kind of modeled it being a little, a little uh, <laughs> cocky and maybe a little arrogant that if I'm going to be better than those guys. I want to do it differently than them. So I kind of had the benefit of, it's like when you watch your dad do something one way and you do it the opposite way and you find out it works better. Well, thanks dad for showing me. It's just, you showed me the other way, right? So these two guys weren't very good and I didn't want to be anything like them. So I started just really working with customers. I'll give you an example. One of the older guys, of course, I was always the young pup, right? I'm a 19 year old service advisor and these guys have been doing it for 10 years and want to tell me how to do it. Well, one guy liked to make it as complicated as possible and really baffle the customer with, you know, these big fancy words and sayings almost to, to show off how smart he was, right? Well, I went the opposite way and I dumbed it down for customers and I'd use analogies and, you know, selling a brake job to a customer and say your caliper is stuck, you know, on your bike, you know, when you squeeze the handle and it squeezes those two pads together. Yeah. Well, that part, that squeeze, that's called a caliper. And you have the same thing on your car. Now, just imagine if you squeeze that brake handle and then it didn't release, man, you'd wear those pads right out. Well, that's what happened. And then they would go, oh, okay. So my style was to always listen to the customer, kind of read them, and then help put it into terms that they might understand so that they would feel better about giving me the, the commitment to go ahead and proceed, right? So Absolutely. when I was very young, just watching these other two guys do it horribly, provided me with the desire to, <laughs> Hey, I need to be better than those guys. <laughs> and that, I don't know, maybe that sounds a little arrogant, but <laughs> if I wanted to be just another average guy, then I just copy their lines. Right. But I'm not, why would you see a line that doesn't work? So exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, really young when I figured it out. Yeah. Definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. So innovation, right. I think hoping. definitely has to take place. Yeah. Hoping. Right. I, I love it. I think, <clears throat> That's a that's an interesting technique 
to 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 work with to tell somebody you know hey listen it's not a word track it's not always going to work every time you have to kind of read the situation and i really like the the dumb it down analogy uh, you know based conversation you know being able to relate it into terms that way somebody understands like you said you're listening and you're hearing what i have to say as well for the vehicle coming in so what would you say to a service manager or a fixed ops director or even a general manager that's looking to start a consistent process, right? We've got all these different things you've learned and you've seen how it's done bad and how you've had your own mistakes and learned from your own mistakes, probably very few, right? And then coming into a process-driven environment, like Dynatron's very process-driven of what we do and how we do it. So with how we do our process, and now that you're the director of, of client training, what would you say if you're on the lane or talking to people or in a workshop is the first step? What's the first step you address in getting more consistent with this process? Well, and that's a great question. And I get it a lot when I'm, when I'm sitting in the, in the dealerships and, and speaking with the executives um, and the stakeholders or the owners, you know, there's a real misunderstanding about pick stops. You know, you, you talk to somebody who's a general manager, or maybe even the owner of a store and so many of them came up through the front end of the business, right? And and up there, when it's funny, the same owner, the same general manager, I tell them, look at your F&I office, right? We really kind of model our program after what we learned from the F&I process. And what that is, is, you know, when we talked consistency earlier, you brought that up, Alex, you don't want the customer's experience to be dependent upon the person or the advisor, the F&I person, the salesperson, the parts counterperson, I don't care who it is, which person you get determines the experience you get. And you really can't survive in a business model with that, in my opinion. So when I look at an owner, I say the first thing you need to do back in service is decide from a process standpoint, what is it that I want, not only my people to do, what do I want my people to do, but really look at it through the other set of eyes on that transaction, that's the customer what is the experience I want my customer to have when they show up at my store? So it's hard to go back and criticize the service advisors or even train them if you don't have a process to train to. And if you look up on the show floor, the F&I model is such a good one because you hear things, if you stand around the F&I office long enough, you'll hear things like 100% presentation, 100% of the time, 100% of the products, right? We have a process, follow the process. And when they promote a salesperson into F&I, the first thing they do is they'll bring in their F&I provider and they train them on the process. This is how we do it. And the idea up on the show floor is as a customer is gonna go into F&I and close out their transaction on purchasing this, this very substantial investment, um, we wanna make sure that, yeah, the flavor of each office is different, you know, can have a personality that's dependent upon the person you're talking to, but the process isn't, the experience isn't. You should be able to walk into any F&I office and what do they use? Menus. Hey, I've heard of menus before. I think they stole them from us to be honest with you, but uh, they have a menu and they present <laughs> everything to the customer and then they build value and then you're not allowed to leave something out. A good example, again, I say to a general manager, what if, what if you were standing there waiting to talk to your F&I person? And they were with a couple, they were just finishing up. So you stood there and waited. And of course the salesman comes, grabs the couple, and they're gonna go out to their brand new car and, and do the, the delivery, right? And then you walk into the finance office and you say to your finance person, so how do we do it? Do they buy anything? And he goes, well, you know, they said they're gonna, this is a transitionary vehicle for them. They're just gonna keep it for a little while. 
So I didn't even really offer them warranties and that kind of stuff because they're not going to keep the car long enough to need it. Well, I don't even get done saying that. And the general manager cuts me off and says, no, no, no. We present everything to every customer every day. And if they're going to not keep the, long, the car very long, they'll just tell you no, right? But you don't make a decision on whether or not to present the product. We have a process here. Well, wouldn't that same attitude or that culture work in the service department every single time a customer comes in here's what i want to happen we greet them here's how i want you to greet them here's what i want you to do here's what i want you to say and here's how i want you to end the transaction and if every single customer came into your store and let's say you've got 10 service advisors in a really busy store um, it doesn't really matter which advisor you get the, the experience you get when you leave is going to be the same because that's what we train to yeah. So to answer your question in short, you've got to have a process. And then people, I believe that once there's a process, you do know if you're doing it or if you're not. When your boss pulls you aside and gets a little bit on you because you're not following the process, it's not like you go, what process? You know. <laughs> and of course, part of us is to follow them up and, and not allow them to deviate. So process first, and then you train to the process. And then you expect them through accountability that once you understand the process and you're comfortable doing it, well, then I expect that you're going to do it from now on. And that's, you could put that into a book and call it training. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I love, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest thing. And I love that you, you can relate it to multiple things in the dealership. It doesn't have to be pigeonholed in just F and I, but I, I, I really liked, um, my dad was, was talking to me about, um, some training, uh, with advisors that he used to do. And it was always about how can you relate something positive in the first 10 seconds of the conversation, right? With the, with the weather yep. or something, if they've got it on their vehicle or just if their vehicle looks really nice or man, this is one of the cleanest vehicles I've gotten into today or even complimenting them on their service history, man, you've, you've really stayed on top of your stuff. It's like, where can you find a complimentary subject or or something to communicate with the customer outside of what they're there for how can we make this more of a human yeah. transaction instead of the 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 drag because everybody everybody likes to relate well, that's going to get going to the dealerships like going to the dentist <laughs> except they prefer going to the dentist right <laughs> it's like Sometimes wait a minute it's cheaper. we're below yeah, all the surveys used to put going to the car dealership for service below going to a dentist and i always thought Shouldn't I be offended when I read a survey like you have? Because that that's me, right? But but I, I'll answer your question, Alex. One of the things that I believe, you know, obviously there's best practices that we promote, right? One of the things is you as a dealership, if you're a small town dealer in northern somewhere, or you're a metro dealer in the heart of the city somewhere, you're going to have certain things that you're going to want to include or incorporate. Some of it's driven maybe by the brand of car that you're that you're dealing with, right? But in a BMW store, you're going to read the key. Now you say read the key to a Toyota store, and they go, "What are you talking about?" Right? But right. but the idea is one of the there's there's just like in F and I there's there's core practices, core best practices, and one of the things that we always talk about is the walk around. Right? You hear walk around right away. Advisors want to roll their eyes. Oh, yep. but yeah, when I ask them, okay, walk around. There's there's three reasons why I believe walk arounds are necessary. Give me all three of them and we'll skip this part and move on to the next training, right? <laughs> and then, of course, they go, well, to cover your butt, right? It's, it's like I'll give you a pass if you can answer my question correctly. Well, everybody goes to damage. Why do you do it? Well, the first thing we're trying to do is make sure that that darn customer doesn't accuse me of the scratch on his door. 
okay, well, who does that benefit? Does that benefit the customer or does that benefit me, right? I want to make sure they understand damn clearly that we didn't scratch your door. Okay, that's a real customer-sensitive thing to do. Well, I applaud you. That's opposite of what your dad said, right? Yes. So the idea is we do a walk-around for three reasons. Number one, I do want to take time to notice things. And I don't have to say, well, there's a scratch there. I, can, I train the, the hmm method. And what do you mean by that? I just lean down and rub the scratch and go, hmm. And they can't help but start talking. Oh, yeah, you, my kid and a hockey stick in my car <laughs> in the same garage never works. So, ha, ha, ha. Okay, well, there. We both talked about that scratch. Remember when I said, hmm, right? And and should the customer be with you when you do a walk around? Well, it'd be pretty darn hard if he's over by my desk and I'm at his car and I go, hmm, really loud so that he'll look, right? I think it's important that I have the customer right on my hip for that segment because I want to I wanna make a show of it very subtly. Number two, I think it's an opportunity for us to sell something in a positive way. And what I mean by that is if I grab your wiper blade, pick it up and it folds in half because it's ripped, right? I'm, they're gonna bleed their eyes. And hey, I see your wiper's torn. Is that something you'd like me to take care of today? That's my clothesline. It's a real killer hard line. Is that something you'd like me to take care of today? And if they say yes, add it to the ticket. If they say no, put it as a decline service, move on, right? You don't have to sell hard. We're not teaching our people how to pound our customers. But if I show them a crack in the taillight, there's water in your taillight. That wasn't there before I dropped my car off. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, yeah. there's rust on your bulb. That just happened today, right? Yeah, rust so, accumulates within so a couple hours. Out, <laughs> yeah, look at all that rust underneath that scratch. Wow, what do you guys do here at this door? But the idea is that I'm proving some credibility by showing them this broken taillight, by showing them the wear on their tires. Try to call somebody up and describe uneven tire wear. Now, if you're in the business, you know exactly what I mean. But if you're not in the business, what do you mean uneven tire wear? Well, here, look at this one. Look at this one. See how this one's kind of worn? And this one's almost bald on the inside. Oh, or the famous words, you've got steel cords coming out of your tire. Okay, what does that mean to somebody who doesn't know cars? Exactly. Right? But when I show you and I point to it, and then I point to the, the car right next to you now and say, see how this one's nice and flat and yours is all rounded and kind of weird? That's due to your alignment. Oh, really? And now we're talking, right? So it's a credibility moment to show them that I'm not just going to call and sell you stuff. Let me show you what I see. Do you see what I see? And then the third thing, and this goes to your dad's point, maybe I say, wow, I love these wheels. These are my favorite wheels, you know, or you go around and you see a, a bumper sticker on the back window. As in Minnesota, you saw a Green Bay Packers bumper sticker. You'd say, what, you lose a bet? You know, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> there you, you go, know, yeah. When's the last time the Vikings won a World Series or won a Super Bowl, you know? And then now, now it's on, right? And now we're laughing, you know, like people do. I'm a regular person. I'm not that car dealer guy. I'm a regular person. Or, or I was in one store one time and the guy saw a proud parent of a Jackson middle school student. And then uh, the service advisor says, oh, that's wild. He was my wife's a teacher there. He goes, oh, what's your wife's name? Oh, you know, Miss Lamont. Oh my God, I think my, I think my son had your teeth. And next thing you know, we're bonding yep. because I'm a real person when I'm not here trying to handle car stuff right exactly. so the three reasons we do a walk around identify damage to make sure we don't you know they'll cover your butt there and then let's look for credibility things that i can point out that they can see with their own eyes and then let's prove a moment to have a rapport in 90 seconds right and i can see a hockey stick lane in the back seat or i can see a bumper sticker or i can see a license plate frame u of m alumni and you'd be surprised the commonality i might have with the majority of people once i know a little bit more about them so 
take that moment to look for something about their car. Boy, is it clean. Boy, you keep your car nice. This color blue is one of my favorite colors, you know. And now, how do they not respond with, oh, yeah, when I saw it, I needed it. And, and next thing you know, we're, we got a thing going here, right? You can trust me. I'm a good person. And then we move on to the next thing. So is it necessary to a walk around and should the customer be with you? Yes and yes. And your dad's point is well made. Point something out while you're walking around. A walk around should take about 70 seconds. Yeah. 10 minutes. That's right. I mean, how can we have something positive? And I think the other the other standpoint, you know, as we're talking about building this process is you may feel like you're overburdening the customer if you're looking for things that aren't applicable for that visit. And what that means is what's due today? What's due today? What is what is some stuff that's due today by time and mileage, by recommendation? What is due today? And I don't think if you if you take the mindset of offering all opportunities and allowing them to pick and choose what they want to do and what they don't want to do, because we can't guarantee they're always going to come back, you know, for a rescheduled visit, you know, or on a regular schedule. I I think build like you said, well, building that camaraderie is going to be huge. It's kind of like, again, going back to that FNI, because we're doing so many things together. It's like in the parks department. Those are the last people to be trained on selling. But if a customer comes into my store and buys a water pump, might I suggest a thermostat, maybe a gallon of antifreeze while they're here, right? So everything about our business, we sell. If you work for a car dealership, you're selling, and that's just the way it is. But when I look at what you just said, there are two components that, that I think need to be discussed every single time a customer comes in a store. And number one is the maintenance. And then number two is an MPI or an inspection. And if we talk about F&I for a second, I gave that example earlier. Oh, this couple is going to keep this car. It's a transitionary car. Okay, well, then when you try and sell them a warranty or gap coverage or all these other things, wheel and tire coverage, windshield coverage, rust proofing, they'll just say, no, 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 no. I still offer it to them. I, I, it's my responsibility to make sure they understand what their options are. And if they want it, they'll say yes. And if they won't, don't want it, they'll say no. It seems pretty simple. But when you get to maintenance, I think there's two things that really drive me uh, when I talk about the MPI and recommended maintenance is that customers have come to just expect. If you say, by the way, we provide a free inspection, you're not really wowing anybody. You know, okay. so does everybody. I remember 20 years ago, nobody did. And now, I believe, so I'm talking to a technician and they say, well, geez, the guy came in and he just had a headlight bulb out or it needed a headlight amplifier. I didn't have to lift the car or anything, so I didn't do an inspection. Okay, common common thing, right? You're fighting with your master techs to have them do a good thorough inspection. Well, my attitude is there are two things we've achieved over the last 25 years, 30 years in the car business. Number one, people now know that they're supposed to change their oil, right? I'm telling <laughs> when I was a young 20-year-old service advisor at the Chevrolet store, and a guy would come in with 25,000 miles on his car and he's got a knocking noise and my, my tech would drop the drain plug and it would bloop, bloop. And, you know, and you're like, you ever change your oil? And he's like, I don't know, was it supposed to, right? Oh my God, right? And then we started with stickers and, and then we had mailers. And, but now they come in and they understand when they buy a car, they're gonna probably have to change the oil. But the other thing we've kind of done over the last 25 years is we've convinced them that every time you come in, we're gonna take a minute to inspect your car and if we find something, we'll let you know. So they just now expect we're going to do it. They no longer wonder or have to ask for it. You know, hey, we're going on a trip next week. Can you just give my car a look? Oh, yeah, we always do an inspection. So what that means to me is if you don't take a minute to let them know what their car is due for, maintenance-wise, and you don't take a minute to look at the car and let them know if there's anything you see, 
you're letting them down and that my expectation is that you guys do that, don't you? So if I'm going to stand here and fight with a technician as to whether or not he should do it, I'm going to make the argument that our customers have now, thanks to our prodding and, and our hard work, they expect we're going to do it every time. So it's not acceptable for you not to do it. And service advisor, for you not to share those results with the customer, you're letting them down. And, and, and when I say to a business owner, are you okay with your uh, service people um, letting down your customers or, or not doing something that they expect you're going to do? Well, absolutely not. Well, then that should be part of the process. And when we talk about maintenance, Alex, I tell you, almost to the point that I get tired of hearing the advisors want to fight back on this, but most people don't do maintenance because they didn't know they were supposed to. Yeah, you do That's weren't a asked. big, fat bell. That's a bell. How come you never changed your book? I don't know. No one ever know. told me I was supposed to. Was, I'm, not, I'm not the car guy. So then, and, and that's another point. When you look at J.D. Powers, you know, Lord, do they make it tough on us dealers, right? You know, they're not very convenient. You got to be careful. They're going to sell you stuff you don't need. Their prices are too expensive. I mean, when you go to those surveys, they make sport out of beating up car dealers. But the one question they'll ask on there is, who is best to work on your blank? Buick, Oldsmobile, uh, Oldsmobile now. <laughs> yeah. But who's the best person to work on your blank car? Kia, Hyundai, Chevy, Ford, Toyota, whatever. And that's the one the customer gives us. Well, the dealer is probably the best place to take your car. And what that means is they are by default calling us the subject matter experts. So when you bring your car in to me and I don't take a moment to tell you what you're due for and what you might want to do. Now, the one thing they're giving me credit for, which is to be the subject matter expert. Now I'm not doing it. I'm not playing that role. Well, then that's the one thing I own on the survey and I'm not doing it very good. So those are absolute must do's in your process is include maintenance every time the customer's here, include an MPI every time the customer's here. And again, I'm not looking at it. You haven't heard me say, cause that's how you make a bunch of money. Everything I'm talking about is what the customer's experience looks like. Are they expecting us to do it? And then are we doing it? What does it look like when you pull into the service drive as a customer? Is it cluttered? Is it clean? Am I welcomed with a smile? You know, is it easy to do business with me or, or do you have all the signs? Know this, know this, don't do this. You can't do that. Put your customer's eyes and walk into your store once. Yeah. Everything that I train on is if you do the right things, customers tend to like it. And if customers tend to like it and they love you, they'll take that coupon from the corner guy and just throw it away. But if it's all about coupon, you know, I, I heard somebody very Coupons. wise one time say without value, then it just becomes about the price. Um, and that was James Grogan. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if, if they simply make it about price, there's other people out there that can beat us on price. Absolutely. So you're going to get the same experience there that you get here. So I want to really teach and preach and train on experience, 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 because if they like the way we do business, I dare somebody else to try and steal them away from me. Absolutely. And if they're going to come here only because they love us, I'm thinking there's some sales involved and we're yeah. going to be all right. Well, when you say it's somewhat self-preservation and a little bit too, I mean, if you're clearly looking at a vehicle that needs brakes or clearly looking at a vehicle that needs something and you're held back on telling this person because you're scared or you don't want to or whatever the reason may be, you're too busy, you got to drive on the same roads they do. So why are we not offering yeah, everything that's going to keep this car running safely? I mean, my wife drives on the road with my boys. You know, and I don't, I don't want anything happening to them. So I'm going to keep their vehicle up and anybody, anybody else's vehicle that I could, can uh, enrich with saying, Hey, here's what's, 
you know, something you can do. But I would also here here's like I, I like to finish up with this. This would be really good. We keep talking about advisors. The advisors need to do better. We need a better process and they need to follow the process. And they've got to get into these habits and they've got to get into this process. But to fall back on, how about the people that are the employee and the advisors? I mean, they need to be held accountable for the process. They need to be held accountable for their timeline. So what would you tell a dealership, a GM, a, a fixed ops director about how consistent they need to be with their training and keeping up to date on what they need to do to better their advisors? Well, and I think the two words that address that, um, which is a great thought, Alex, number one, I think you need discipline and you need accountability, right? If, if we're going to decide to do something, then we need the discipline to stick to it, right? You know, there's a, there's a stick to that we have. And once we decide that uh, we're going to do a walk around in every car and the discipline is, um, you need to get out there and you need to make sure your people know. And then the accountability is what's the ramifications if you don't do it. And so oftentimes you nailed it on the head, the advisors just push back and they'll find every reason why this thing's going to work. And, you know, as part of our training is we coach right on site because every time somebody says something ain't going to work, they're always interrupted by somebody who just did it. Right. That's right. And the customer's not going to give me all this time. Well, then I'll, I'll go and, and just earlier today, I'm, I'm at a store down here in Texas and uh, I grabbed a customer and started talking to him. We did a little bit of a walk around and I asked him when's the last time they had certain things done. I think it was a brake flush on their car. And then they, they didn't really know. So that led us right into the history and we started reviewing it. And of course the customer body language, they leaned in, right? They were like, they were interested. They wanted to see. And the advisor was pulling up the history and we were looking at it all together. Now the customer's not going to give you 10, 12, 15 minutes, but as long as it's something of value to them, they'll give me all the time that they want to, right? right? So everything you said, the customer, they won't give you time. They don't have that time. They just want to go. Well, then how come they stood there and talked to me about their car and we looked at the history together and they were interested, right? So you well, have- Who, a, hold, who holds executive. the accountability at the top level? That's my thing. It's like, we got the top level looking down, but but how do how does the owners and how do GMs, how do they hold self-accountability and hold themselves to a process. Like if you, if the GM said, all right, tell me my process of when I need to reevaluate the training and when I need to hold training for my advisors, what would you tell them? Well, I can tell you, first of all, that we, as part of our program with our SellSmart program, we ask, uh, kind of require, you know, I, I don't want to force anybody to do anything, but we require or ask that the top person, the stakeholder, whether it's the GM, the owner, the, the fixed ops director for the company, whoever's going to drive this performance, that you spend 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes observing and watching. And of course, then you need to correct, pat them on the back when you see them do it really well, pull them aside when they miss something. The idea is, is if you can get them to do it while you're watching them, eventually they'll do it when you're not watching them because we've now made it happen. You know, you've got the seven times rule. They need to hear seven something seven times. They need to do it for 21 days in a row before it becomes habit. Well, if you can go back there and spend 15 minutes a day, that's the discipline I was talking about, and watch them and have it be in the morning, right in the middle of a rush. And it's not okay if you skip a step, right? Just like in any other place up on the show floor or, or you don't skip a walk around or you don't skip a TO. Well, what about back in the F&I office? You don't skip it. You do it all. 100% of 100% of the time, 100% of the customers, right? So if you can spend 15 minutes a day observing, correcting, patting on the back, you're going to see that your people, first of all, it's important to you. So if it's important to you, it'll be important to them. 
and you're going to have a pretty good idea of exactly the progress in your store because you're going to see things start to improve. Or of course, if they're not, then what do we got to do? Do we got to call an audible? We got to change the process. That's right. If the process isn't working, you'll see it. Well, then let's change the process. But until we do, this is our process. Right? So you're saying daily. So 15 minutes a day. Every day, 15 minutes. So you're saying, you, so now you know, they do a lot so, walk. And I want to make sure everybody gets this no. point across. It's like, I love where you're daily. going with this. This is not a monthly thing for GMs or fixed ops or even service managers. It's not monthly. This is not weekly. It's not like a weekly review or a weekly meeting. This is a daily practice, a daily practice. 15 minutes a day. I mean, if you want to make it a half hour day, I'm not going to stop you, but I'm saying <laughs> minimally 15 minutes a day. And if you can do it 15 minutes in the morning when you get all the incoming, go spend another 15 minutes in the afternoon when everybody's picking them up because it's a different it's a different dynamic during the redelivery process, right? But if you can do 15 minutes a day, you will see a change in your store provided you have a process and you've taken the time to train everybody for that process. And then you're just standing there as the gatekeeper, making sure it's happening in your store. And I'm telling you, you will see change in your business. from that. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, man, brother, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and bestowing to us your knowledge of all 30 plus years of being in the automotive industry. Not putting a tag on it, am I? Well, <laughs> Hold on, I got to grab my cane. I just dropped it. But uh, no, it's a, it's my pleasure. Anytime I can, uh, anytime I can bestow upon you, uh, you let me know. I'm happy to join you. Yeah, you I need to learn how to use the abacus. I'll come your way. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I still say calculator, and people don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I do like to. I do like to end the end the podcast on a final note that you can leave with everybody, if you don't mind. I would say. Um, two things that I'll say, number one, and I, I think we talked about it a little earlier, but, you know, make sure your people understand what it is you expect. Don't look past that. You know, the, the, the big thing that I always felt is as an employer, as a manager, my job is to make my, my staff completely clear on what it is that I expect them to do. And then it's their job to work very hard at giving me what I expect. So many times I find owners who are very frustrated and the number one thing I ask him is, does everybody understand your expectations? And of course, his answer is yes. And then when I go talk to the people, it's, it's, the answer really is no. So clearly communicate to your people what it is that you expect so that they don't have to guess when they're doing it right and when they're not. And then the last little tidbit is, you know, inspect what you expect. And that's that 15 minutes a day. It's one thing for them to make sure that the, you, under, you have to make sure they understand your expectations, but then you got to inspect what you expect. And it sounds like a cliche. It sounds like a meme you'd say on LinkedIn. But if you take just a little bit of time to go back and make sure it's happening, I think you'd be surprised that it's will. Because in my career, the better I was at communicating expectations to my people, the more pleased I was with the result. So uh, I have hope for people. And if, if they know what I want, they'll work hard to give it to me. So um, make sure I know what they want and then go back and just I'm, – I'm really checking on people not to catch them doing it wrong so I can hammer them. I want to catch them doing right so I can give them the kudos. And man, do people respond to that. If a GM goes back to an advisor and says, nice job, I really like how you handled that. Do they have any idea how that's going to light that advisor up and make his or her whole day? So, Absolutely. Got to, got to, got to have that positive. Got to have that positive touch. Yeah. What do they say? Put a, a bean in the jar, right? A positive, <laughs> put a bean put those positive deposits. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, All right, anyway, brother, that's what I would say is inspected. 
That's fantastic. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of the Fuel Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. And Jeff, thank you so much for your time, brother. It's my pleasure, Alex. Take care. Thank you for joining another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped. And click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information. Or you can email the Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with the Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.